Miriam, we are in Daf Lamed Aleph Lamed Aleph, second line down. Ravashi of the Ravashi once made a wedding for his son. He sees that the Rabbanon were too were too lightheaded, were too happy, literally. So Isi Kasa Zigisa Chirusa. Again, he brings this very fine white crystal glass in front of them. The Tavar Kamai breaks with the Ayatsivu, and that immediately uh, saddens them. And uh, the Gemara is bringing this in because we mentioned yesterday the theme of that it's important to daven only mitoch Kovid Rosh, uh, which is an idea of having like a, a seriousness, like something subdued type of uh, mood before davening. Says the Gemara, Amalur Rabbanu the Rabbanu Zuti, Vihilula Demar Ravina was at uh, the wedding of Mar Ravina. They said to Ravina Zuti, Lishulan Mar, perhaps you'd like to sing for us. So Amaluhu, he's saying to them, Vavilan de Misnan, Vavilan de Misnan, like we're all going to die. It stinks for us that we're, woe to us. I guess that we're all going to die. So he was trying again to calm, to calm them, to subdue the to subdue the tones at the wedding. So Amaluhu, so Amalei Anan Manan Vasrach. They said, what what's what's the response to that? In other words. It seems like it was some sort of responsive song. So if that's what you opened up with, with how sad it is that you're going to die, that we're all going to die, then w- w- what can you say after that? What's possibly sadder than the fact that we're all going to die? So high Torah, high mitzvah, We can lament the fact that we don't even have enough comfort that we're going uh, in a place that we have enough schlossim. Where is it? Where is our Torah and where is our mitzvahs that can protect us? So that was the the follow up that uh, sombered the crowd. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishumer Mishumer Vayochai. It's forbidden for a person literally to fill the laughter of his mouth in this world. So this is from Shemalas. We say that in that time the laughter of our mouth will become full, and our tongues will be singing. When is that? Bizman, the continuation of the passage. Bizman, when the world recognizes. And the glory of Hashem is restored, and it's quote unquote the world to come here on this world. When everybody sees how Hashem's, Hashem's miracles and His all the glory is manifest, then it will be Yimalis Chokpinu. Then we will be they will be happy. And the Gemara says, "Amru lava Rishlakish." This was the memory that Rabbi Yochanan taught. So they, the Gemara reports about Rishlakish. That once he heard this, he never filled his mouth with laughter in this world. Once he heard Rabbi Yochanan t- say this statement that it's forbidden, he then never, uh, he never did that for the rest of his life. So there's an interesting idea that the Gemara, if you notice, there's like a side, almost a digression a little bit. Until now, we've been talking about, we start off with the seriousness, a person should have a davening. And then we move to the fact that uh, at weddings, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be too happy. Then the Gemara seems to move to something else. The Gemara says, In this world, so it's an interesting difference is what will happen once the base HaMikdash is rebuilt, but we still have, but it's before Tachiyas HaMez or something like that. Is the emphasis on Chorben? Is the emphasis upon the fact that we're living in a time in Gullus? Or is the emphasis in Stam? That the fact that it is the world. From the Gemara here, it seems like it has to do with this world. It has nothing to do with the Gullus. It has nothing to do with the Chorben um, at all. Says the Gemara, Tanarabon, and back to the laws of what's the, pro, uh, the proper preparation for davening. Tanarabon, and Eno Amin Lispala Mitoch Din. A person shouldn't first judge some elaborate court case before davening. Even from learning a complex sugya. And the reason why that's true is because these things linger on the mind. Anything that's too complex. And then a person's davening, it's still on their mind. 
Ella, rather mitoch halacha psuka. The best thing to do is to daven from simple halachos. Uh, psuka, in the sense that it's simple, doesn't mean necessarily mean that the content is light, but it means it's unanimously accepted. There's no machlokas about it. It's pretty straightforward. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to understand, but it's not that com- the complexity is less. So the Gemara says, Hechi dami halacha psuka. What's an example of a halacha psuka that's good to be learned before davening? So the Gemara gives three examples. All three examples are things that, for us, we need a lot of introduction for. But in the Gemara, it was, it was considered a straightforward point. The girls, Jewish girls, are machmer for themselves. Even if they see just a little bit of drop of nida blood, even just like the size of a mustard seed, they observe the seven clean days. Why is that, why is that a chumrah? The reason that's a chumrah is because by Torah law, a woman goes through a cycle of the seven days of, 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 when, when, of, of nida, when her period comes in the normal time of the month, and after that it's followed by 11 days of ziva. So the halacha is midar that whenever a woman gets her period, so it doesn't, she doesn't have to wait seven clean days. She just waits one week. It makes no difference what, what happens during that week. She could literally bleed the entire week. It makes no difference. She goes to the mikvah at the end of the week, and then that night she's tahor as long as she's not bleeding. That's midar the whole concept of waiting seven clean days is only during the 11 days that follow the, those seven days, which, where it's irregular to get one's period. So in that situation, if a woman sees three days in a row, then she has to observe seven clean days. So that's, so that's the only time when you have to, when you have, there's ever a concept of shifa However, there's a chumr that Benos Yisrael do, which is the halacha today, that even if they see any drop of blood, it's confusing the difference between zava and nida. And therefore, at any point when they see even a drop of blood, they observe um, seven clean days. So that's an example of halacha psu. A second example, So an introduction to this is that the grain, although it's chayav in trumos and maizros, when it grows in Israel, but there are two conditions that have to be met. Condition number one is that the grain has to be uh, like of done in its production, meaning it's finished, it's already had, you know, the shells come off and it's been piled up and it's all ready to go. It's all ready to be produced. And the last step is like miruach, after it's been gathered into a pile, like the pile has been smoothed over. So that's the final condition uh, that it, the grain for it to be necessary to be chayev. And condition number two is where it's not chayev until it's brought into one, one's home. As long as it's still out there in the fields, it's not yet obligated to be tithed. And the big difference is that before it's the obligation begins, a person can, tell, can still have a little snack. You can still have a little achila sarai from it. So, so the question is, if a person wanted, Rav Oshia says, if a person wanted to be a little bit tricky, they could get out of the chiyav. You know what they could do? Just make sure that you bring in the kernels still when they're in their shaft. And then when they come into one's home, then they haven't yet finished being produced. So the Torah says when they come in and see the Pnei HaBayas, so then they become chayav. But if you bring them in when they're in their shaft, so then they, have, they, they don't see it. They don't see the home because they're still in their shaft. So then that could technically allow one to keep on snacking on the food uh, or give it to his animal to eat before tithing. So that's a real uh, a tricky move. That's usually not what a normal thing is to do. Usually you take off the shaft in the field and then bring it into your house and then it's definitely chayav. Um, to take off the the, the trimas and rises. But technically, Rav Oshio is saying a person could uh, get out of the chiyav, he could circumvent the chiyav of taking off trimas and rises. It's a little bit hard. We shouldn't have different interpretation. I would say for us, we clear cut. Third example of the, the Gemara uses, Let's say somebody bloodlets a blood out of an animal that is Kachim, that blood that comes out after the animal bloodlets is forbidden in Hana, Umol and Bo, and there's Me'ila in that blood. Now, why is that a big novelty? 
because blood, after the animal's blood has been used, when it's been thrown on the Mizbeach, there's no longer Me'ilah on the blood. So the, and definitely, if, you know, if there was somebody would take the blood and fertilize their field or something like that, there wouldn't be Me'ilah. Once the blood goes on the Mizbeach, there's no Me'ilah. So the novelty that we're saying, though, is that if somebody takes the blood, uh, bloodless from the animal, from the carbon, before the blood has been, you know, the animal's been shechted and the blood's been caught and thrown on the Mizbeach, you just bloodletting anim- the, uh, the blood from a live animal, from a, when the animal is still alive, a kachim animal, then there is Me'ilah on the blood. So those are three examples that the Gemara gives us of Halacha Psuka that are meant to be learned before Davening. So the Gemara says, Rabbonon Avdi Kemas Nisin, Rab Ashi Avid Kebrisa. So it's actually a fascinating thing that the Gemara is picking up on, is that what the Brisa is advising is not what the Mishnah advised. The Mishnah said, how should, what should a person, what's the preparation for Davening? Kovet Rosh. Kovet Rosh means do something to humble oneself, to get one into a very serious mood, however one that happens. But evidently that doesn't come from learning a halacha psukah. That's not the, that's not the preparation. To hear the b'risa is advising the halacha psukah, it's a separate approach. Um, so it's a different, two different approaches that we see here between the Mishnah and the b'risa. I would just mention again that most of these halachos, uh, it says here in Shulchanach that, that it's not really relevant to us nowadays because our, our expectation level for kavana is so low that uh, we don't think, you know, let's say there's, there's a difficult sugya or an easy sugya to learn. We don't think that if we learn a difficult sugya, it's going to make a difference to our kavana necessarily. So for us, we are lenient, uh, even to learn difficult sugyas or things like that right up until davening. Says the Gemara, Tan Rabbanan, in Omnim Lispal, further conversation about what's the preparation for davening. In Omnim Lispal, Lamitoch Atzvus. There shouldn't be something that saddens a person. And this is a good and important thing. There's a, there's a difference between sadness and seriousness. Seriousness is good. Here the Gemara is expressing the emotion of sadness is not good. Falomitoch atzlus. This is an interesting thing. Atzlus. Like uh, laziness. Falomitoch schok. Too much lightness. Falomitoch sicha. Just idle conversation. Falomitoch kalas rosh. Again, an idea of not acting serious. Falomitoch tvarm betelem. Wasted, wasted, wasted time. Just meaningless activity. Ela mitoch simcha shel mitzvah. There should be simcha of mitzvah. Now there's a machlokas rishonim. What exactly the girsa in the Gemara is? It seems that Rashi uh, did not have the girsa of shel mitzvah. He just had mitoch simcha. The person should give himself happiness. And Rashi says that this is actually a source for why for a lot of the psukim that we say before we start davening. So for example, you know, before we start ma'ar, we say v'hurachum. Rashi says that's an example that it gives a person it uplifts a person's spirit. The fact that Hashem forgives us for our sins. You say ashrei. Rashi says the end of ashrei. It says. Shemar Hashem is called Ava, very nice psukim, uplifting psukim that does it. And even the same thing with um with with a general simcha. So right, Tosus even says this is a, an idea why we say psukat the zimra. Psukat the zimra is not something that's strongly mentioned in the Gemara. There's one Gemara about it in Shabbos, but definitely not to the extent that we say psukat the zimra. But it seems that the custom to say psukat the zimra, which developed a little bit post the Gemara, the way we have, is um, is based upon this theme that you want simcha. Now this is a very and more fascinating because this is a third type of preparation. So again, the Mishnah go, says go for seriousness. The Brisa says go for Allah Psuka. And now this Brisa is giving us a different thing. This Brisa is saying that we should go for, um, for a Simcha. So this is another idea in that, in that what we do before davening is really before, before davening. For us, the Psukah the, the, the Zimra is really the before davening. The, or before Mariv, you know, you're doing whatever you're doing, but then you go to Mariv and then you say Vuhurachum. So that at least that, this, even that small thing, what that can do is fulfill what this Brisa here is saying that there's at least a Simcha. Now the Brisa moves to a different topic. How should a person take leave of his friend? How do they depart from each other? So the Brisa says, Not from idle conversation or laughing. Wasted time. 
Ela mitoch devar halacha. Now, if you notice in the language, it doesn't say halacha psuka year or something like that. The point isn't to have um, to, to have something that that is clear cut. That in quite the opposite. If you're going to leave somebody with a devar halacha, leave him with a super complex thing. Leave him with something that his mind will stay on. And the point of this is is that he has something to think about on the way, and that he remembers the person who said it. So it's better actually for the more complex it is, the better. And the Gemara moves on that we find all the Nevi'im that when they would find after all their Musr that they would give very, very harsh things that were taught, they would try to finish on a lighter note. So it's very unclear in the Gemara how that complements what was said. In other words, we said you should finish Bidvar Halacha and the Gemara is saying that, oh, well, we see by the Nevi'im after they gave all the Musr, which was very obviously a bit depressing, they would finish on a better tone. It's hard to see how that's a source, a source to give a dvar halacha for someone that you're taking leave of. The same type of idea. A person should only take leave of his friend from with a dvar halacha. For doing that, the person will remember him. It leaves that important lingering thought on their mind. Rav Ghana was once escorting Rav Shimi Ba'ashi from Pum Nahara all the way to a place called the Beit Zaysina of Bavel. When they reached there, Amalei Mar. Is it true? This thing that people say, that the Sinisa the Bavel, these trees of Bavel, Rashi says they were palm trees. Uh, these palm trees from uh, here in Bavel, is it true that they're around from the times of Adam HaRishon? You know, people say that these trees come all the way back from Adam HaRishon. Is that true? So, Amar Le'i Adkorn, Milsad Rebbe Uzzur Echanina, reminds me of Rebbe Uzzur said, Amar Rebbe Uzzur Echanina, what is the meaning of the Pasuk? And Yirmiyah, when it's describing a land, it says, Baris HaShelo Avad Be'ish V'lo Yoshev Adam Ba, that no one passed by and no one settled. So Adam, usually you would think here it means like nobody. Like that's the way you would translate it. But what if you think about it, no one passed by and no one settled. Certainly if no one passed there ever, no one's going to settle it. So the Pasuk is a bit redundant. No one has passed through that land and no one has settled it. Ella, what does it mean that no, it, had, it has not been um, settled by man? When it says Adam in the Pasuk, it doesn't mean man in general. It means Adam Harishon. And the Pasuk is saying any land that Adam was Gozer Liyishov, that Adam decreed fit for people to inhabit, Nisyashva, it ends up being inhabited in, his, in history. But any land that Adam did not see fit, he wasn't Gozer, that it should be settled by man. Did not end up being settled. So if you think about it, essentially he is disagreeing with the fact that these palm trees existed in the literal sense and historically from Adam Arishon. But what he's saying is that the meaning of people, that the Tanisa de Babel are from Adam Arishon, the meaning that they are from Adam Arishon is that Adam Arishon had declared that Tanisa de Babel should be a place that's inhabited. Had it not been that Adam had decreed it, then it wouldn't have come to reality. It says the Gemara of Yirmiya Ilul Rashimi Ba'ashi. And some people say all the way to Beidura. So this little innocuous line in the Gemara stirs a big tumult here. Because what's it doing? Right? We're saying all these things about how you're supposed to leave someone with a Dvar Halacha because if we got that from a tangent of preparing with davening with a Dvar Halacha. And then the last line, and then we got into a story that when someone escorted somebody, he, they said over some Dvar, you know, a, a piece of Torah about the Tzinisa Dabavah existing from Adama region. But then the last line of the Gemara just says that there was one Amor who escorted another Amor. I mean, what, what, no one's talking about the value of escorting somebody. So some of the posts can actually say that what the Gemara is trying to say is that you don't have to say Dvar Halacha. 
If you just want to escort him, that's also acceptable. It's an interesting point that the Gemara is making. It's a, in the sense that you don't have to force the Dvar Halacha. And, and, and if it's not right, and the moment, the moment isn't there, that it doesn't necessarily have to be fulfilled. And the Gemara is complimenting that by saying, look, where Mordechai and Rabbi Shemur Ashley, they didn't say anything. They just walked in silence uh, until that place. Says the Gemara. Now the Gemara just moves to, uh, to general laws of Tefillah. Says the Gemara. Says He has to be Mechavin, his heart, to uh, heaven. Where do we see that the essence of tefillah is that it's done with kavana? It says, So we see with tachin libam, with them preparing their hearts. With that, takshiv aznacha, your, your ears listen, HaKadosh Baruch So the essence of kavana, it seems like the Gemara is capturing in the two words, tachin libam. Says the Gemara, This was the minute of Rabbi Akiva. And the Gemara is alluding to a fact which is not ever really said black on white halakha lamaisa, that a congregation should wait for the leader in order to start chazar uh, sashas. That halakha is never really taught to us black on white. But the Gemara is assuming that was the practice. And it says that the minog of Rabbi Akiva, and he knew that Sibor was waiting for him. So he would be careful to be because of Torah Sibor. In fact, Allah actually says us in Shulchan Aruch, that uh, that 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 somebody who's the the tzibur is waiting upon should not be longer um, than most of the, then should not be longer than most of the tzibur. So that was Rabbi Akiva's practice. When he was davening when he was davening himself, people a person would leave him in one corner of the room. Umotso when he would come up for, for you know for air on the other side of his davening, he would be found on the other side of the room. You would find him in another corner. Why why all the movements? And the Gemara is trying to describe obviously the greatness of, of Rabbi Akiva's personal tefillah, how much further elaborate he went when he was, uh, when he was davening privately and is saying to the extent that he was literally moved to the other side of the room. But still, says the Gemara, why? why? Why is he moving around? Says the Gemara, because of the vows and prostrations that he would have. Now, it's possible that it shouldn't be understood that he had, the Gemara will tell us later that you're not supposed to bow that much during Shemona Asrei. But the Gemara say that the Gemara means after when a person is allowed to add many supplications, then um, the person can do as many bowings as they would like after to the extent that Rabbi Akiva was found literally in a different room, in the other side of the room. Says the Gemara, There is a value to davening in a place where there are windows. So this we're quoting from Daniel. Daniel is some of the source here for some great laws of tefillah. And this is one of the laws that we're learning that there should be a window. The Marshall explains the idea is that a person can glance, take a glimpse at the oath through the window and see the sky, see the sky and it precipitates more, um, more kavana. Says the Gemara, Adam Kulo. Person might think that they should pray the whole day. What does it say regarding Daniel? That there were three times a day. Um, I'm sorry, One might think, right? Daniel went into exile. So he was originally not in exile, he went into exile. So you might think that this, this idea of praying three times a day only happened once Daniel went into exile. Because until then, you know, things weren't as bad. Once he went into exile, it was time that he needed to daven for Geula. Maybe that's when, that's when Daniel started this. But it says in the Pasuk, no, it says that he had been doing this previously. So we see that Daniel had been doing this even before he went into the exile. Perhaps a person should pray in any direction. It says he faced Jerusalem. Perhaps you daven three times, but you can 
bring them all together. You can be kolo them together in the sense that they don't have to be in specific time frames during the day. The point is just that you should pray three times a day. Says the Gemara, but David already clarified to us that it should be spread out in the morning, afternoon, and night. David, uh, David says that he did, he spread out his tefillos during those times. Says the Brisa continues. Actually, not a price. It continues the Gemara. One might think that it's a good thing to uh, to say to talk out loud. Now it's interesting because we already had a Gemara last last week. is that someone who says the Gemara said someone who speaks loudly while they're davening is is mikatne amuna shows that they don't believe enough in anakadish baruch Here the Gemara brings another source for it. It's interesting. There the Gemara just said the law. It seemed like it was an intuitive thing not to pray out loud. And now the Gemara says, we, we're looking for a source. We say, we can find it explicit by Chana Shnemar. When Chana was praying, it says, her, her, her voice was not heard. Another thing, perhaps a person should request what they need from Hashem and then pray. So what does it mean, and then pray? In other words, we're talking about when you praise Hashem versus when you ask things from Hashem. So perhaps the order, the sequence should be, ask what you need and then praise. So we learn from Shlomo, Shlomo, el harina ve'el tefila. So what's the difference between rina and tefila? So rina zu tefila, tefila zu bakasha. So we say the rini, the rina zu, that's general tefila. That's like praise to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Tefila is personal request. So that's what we call second. That is the proper, the proper order. Says the Gemara, Ino mar devar, devar bakasha achar MSV atziv. Avol achar tefila, tefila kiseder vidu shiyom ekipurim omer. When a person is in the middle of MSV atziv, so you might think that it's a good time to have requests. Why might you think it's a little bit difficult? What's the Gemara even thinking? But it sounds like the reason why um, perhaps it makes sense is because you think about it. You've already praised Hashem so much at that point. You've already said the brachos kriyishvayim. You think Hashem for taking us out of Mitzrayim and you praise Him for all the miracles. So perhaps even before you smart Shmona Esrei, you can already chop at that moment before you say Gal Yisrael an Indian of asking Tzrachim. And the Gemara says you shouldn't. And the reason why you shouldn't is because very simply the Achronim tell us it's a hefsek between Geula and Tefillah. That's the wrong time to have such a thing. So you should go straight into Shmona Esrei. Shmona Esrei should begin with with praise and then go to request. But at the end of Shemona Esrei, the Gemara says, I'm even like the Seder Vido of Yom Kippur, if a person would like to add, they can add however much they would like to at the end of Shemona Esrei. Says the Gemara, Even though a person can say what they would like in Shemona Tefillah, they can add on many Tefillahs. And the point that the Gemara is expressing is that you could say what you'd like in Shemona Tefillah, but keep it short. You're still in the middle of Shimon Esrei itself proper. But once you finish the Shimon Esrei, there is no extent, there is no limit to what is considered appropriate to say. A person can say even like the extent of like what we say on Yom Kippur. So now let's just clarify a little bit some of the background with Hannah. So Hannah, it says that she, um, she was child, she was barren, she didn't have any children. She goes up and she was once there in the Beis HaMikdash and she was praying in this, in this way where she, she couldn't, her voice couldn't be heard. Elia Cohen sees her. Elia Cohen thinks that she was drunk. He accuses her of being drunk. He, she explains to him that it's not that way. She's davening for a child. And then he gives her a bracha and eventually she has a child. The child is Shmuel. At a later point, she goes back to the Beis HaMikdash and we'll learn exactly what takes place. And most of this, the things we're learning in the Gemara are pretty much just expounding the simplicity of the text that we find here in Navi. Says the Gemara, We can learn many great halachos from the Psukim regarding Chana. It says, Chana was speaking to her heart. So we say, Mikan from here, 
And a person has to have kavana. Speaking to her heart, on her heart, means that she is concentrating. Raksvasa knows only her lips are having, are moving. Mikan, the mispal, she they should enunciate the words, they should actually say them, not just think the words. Her voice is not heard. Mikan, also like as we said, it is forbidden to make one's voice heard during davening. So Eli thinks that she is drunk. This is the source, the Gemara says, that a shikar is not supposed to learn. But it's not supposed to pray. Right? And, and, and it's important a distinction. Usually we say a shikar has no das. We mean the level of drunkenness, the Gemara in Irvin says, like, uh, like, like lot. We mean somebody totally drunk. Here, the law that a shikar is not allowed to pray is much, much less amount of one, even when a person still has das. Any you know, business deal that they would make, the Gemara says, is still there. They are still chayiv in mitzvahs. But nonetheless, there is a specific law that shikar should not, should not pray. Should not, as the Apostle says, A person sees in his friend the bar something that's not correct. They need to correct them. That's why Eli mentioned to her, why are you praying if you are drunk? answers and she says, Lo Adun, no, my master. So it sounds like she's saying something strong. So the Gemara says, Are you not a master? Don't you have Ruach HaKodesh? And even with all your greatness and Ruach HaKodesh, you're choshing me for something completely wrong. So she, she gives it very strongly back to him. Says the Gemara, there are those who say a different a different interpretation. This is what she said. Loa donata, you're not a question. Don't you have ruach hakodesh? Why are you judging me lekav chova harshly and not lekav sechos? So milo yidati, you not know. I'm in bitter spirit. And I have not drank any wine. So just to explain, what's the difference between the two lashonos? They seem to be saying the same thing. So the simple shot is that one is just she said it and one was more like in, like asking. One was a statement, like you're not a master, you're not. And one was like a question, are you not? Like that was more trying to understand. She was trying to relate to why Eli was judging her wrongly. At any rate, so it says that she was So why does she clarify this? We learned that if a person is accused of something wrongly, they have to speak up for themselves. This is really a concept that comes from Pashas Yisrael, that we're supposed to be naki from what other people think of us, so a person should actually clarify if people think they've done something wrong and they have not. Don't place your maidservant in front of Bas Beliyao. So that's a very strange phrase, Bas Beliyao. So what does that mean? We learn from you that when a, uh, someone prays when they're drunk, it's as if they did up with the Zark. You're making me into a Bas like a foreign daughter. There's a Pasuk in the context of Yerani Dacha, so people doing up where the Pasuk categorizes the Obdi Avodazar as B'nei The word B'nei is a reference to Avodazar. So she's saying, don't make me into an Obdi Avodazar by accusing me of um, praying while I am drunk. So if a person wrongly accuses somebody, so they need to appease him, they need actually to bless them. So he, he tries to get her peace, right? He says, go in peace. And then after that, he also gives her a follows up with the bracha that we, Hashem should grant uh, your request. 
So the Gemara then says, we, we launch into some of the specifics of what she says. So she makes, she says Hashem Tzvakos, and then she goes on to say that she really wants a child. So what's Hashem Tzvakos? So Tzvakos are legions, like Hashem has legions. The legions of Hashem are considered always the stars, the celestial spheres, all the things that are part of God's army, so to speak. So Amar from the time that, that God created the world, Loai Adam Shakarla there was never anyone who called Hashem Tzvakos until Chana came and said it. Now, Hashem was referred to as Tzvakos, but she never, there was never anyone who, Hashem is described as Tzvakos by the Navi, but there was never any person who speaks to Hashem as Hashem Tzvakos until this point. Why is she saying Tzvakos? You have all these huge armies in the world, celestial spheres, all these things working for you. Kasha be'inecha, is it so hard in your eyes to ben echa to give me one son? So she's saying, look at the greatness of the world. Look at all the, the greatness and the legions of God. One son is so difficult for you to grant me. Mashal ma'adavadamit, what can these be, can, can these be compared? There was once a king of flesh and blush. Also, he made a party for his, for his slaves. There was one, there was one uh, poor indigent man who comes. Amar al Pesach and he stands on the on the on, on the outside the party. Amar lahem he says, "Tnuli prusachas, give me one piece of bread." No one even notices. He forces his way into all the way to the king. And Amar le, this poor man says to the king at this huge great suda, he says, "Adoni amelach mikol suda shasisa." From all this great suda that you have made, it's so hard to give me one piece of bread. So that's what Chana is saying. She's saying, "Hashem tzvakos." Is it so hard that if you're to have all the tzvakos in the world, that I should not even have uh, one simple child? So then she says, "Imra osir so Imra Osirah is a double Lashon. It almost sounds, and this is what's so difficult, what the Gemara is about to say, she threatens HaKadosh Baruch She threatens HaKadosh Baruch and says, like, you will see. So what does that mean? If you see, good. If you answer my request, you see my pain, fine. But if you don't, Tira, you will see, because I have a plan on my sleeve. I will go seclude myself. I will go do yichud in front of, uh, I'll make my, my husband Elkanah know that I am doing yichud with another man. And the law is that when a woman secludes herself with another man, her husband does kinoi, then she has to drink the soda waters. Once I do that, my husband will, will, will accuse me, right? And then they'll bring me up to Yushalayim and I'll drink the mesota. And really, what's the law? The law is, if a woman did it, then she dies. But if a woman didn't do it, then what happens? She gets great, great blessings. You're not going to disregard what you've promised in the Torah. What does it say in the Torah? That the woman whose innocence is proved when she drinks the sota waters, that she'll have children. So that, that's my plan. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to go do something really bad in order to get the schuss. Obviously, it's bad to be with another man for, for the HSS. You shouldn't do that. But she's saying, that's my plan. You leave me with no choice. So the Gemara says, well, wait a second. If the interpretation is that a woman who was barren, that she will then have children if she drinks the soto waters and is found innocent, that's a good shot. There's a different interpretation. She, a barren woman will not merit to have children. That's not true. What it means is something else. If a woman who is already able to have children, if she usually gives birth with pain, she will give birth with pain. She usually has girls. She will be zolcha to have boys. She usually has darker children. She'll have lighter children. Shorter children. She'll merit to have bigger children. And what are you going to say? And the Gemara now shows us where this dispute is. The time. The Pasuk says that the woman merits to have children. The Rishmael's interpretation is that a woman who is barren merits 
to have her womb opened, and now she's able to have children. Every barren woman will just go and uh, and seclude themselves with with other men. And then like it's such a strange system that the Torah is going to reward that. That's the way the system is going to work. It just doesn't make sense. That, 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 that to have such a system, that in order for women to try to find themselves not be barren, they're going along and uh, doing yichud. So rather, means that if a woman was used to giving birth to tzar, they will give birth with revach. Uh, easier. Kitzar milas haruchim shorter to give birth to bigger children. Shkar milas lavanim lighter complexion. Echad milas shnayim. And if she usually gives birth to one child, she'll give birth to two. Interesting uh, extra addition there in the brayza. So, by the way, it's an interesting thing that we showed him asking so time. They say, well, why is this opinion any better? Meaning, well, why does Rabbi Akiva not like the, the literal shot in the Pasuk is that a barren woman will be able to have children? Rabbi Akiva says, no, that can't be the right shot because every, then every barren woman would do that. Rather, it means that every woman who gives birth to Bitsar will go do it, will be able to give birth without Tsar. I mean, so the question should exist in his opinion as well. Maybe that will entice other women. They'll be incentivized to go do it. How does he really answer the question? A little bit of a difficult question. At any rate, what we see here is that this theory that Chana is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu really depends on Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. Chana was barren. So whether or not she had this thing up her sleeve to go become a sota and drink the water so that she would lose, uh, she would gain ability to have children is really depends on the Machlokas Tanan. So if you hold like Rabbi Akiva, what's the correct interpretation of the Pasuk? So the Gemara says, We have to say that you're right. That's just an expression of speech. It's normal to say It doesn't mean that she actually was saying that she was going to become that she was going to become a sota. Says the Gemara. If you look in that pasuk, she describes herself as a slave woman of Hashem three times. So Why all the descriptions of the term amasecha for Chana? So the Gemara says. You have given three examinations for death for a woman. There are three dangerous things that every woman lives with in her life. What are they? What are these examinations or claims of death that a woman lives with? There are three laws we, we say that Nashim Mesos. And what are they? Not observing the laws of Nida, not observing the laws of Chala, and not observing the laws of Neros, Shabbos. So, have I ever done one of them? And so now we understand why she's saying Amasecha three times. It seems like she's trying to say, I've been the most loyal maidservant, right? Have you done me these three things? Look, evidence speaks for itself. I've never done anything wrong. So I'm the most loyal maidservant of all time. So here she's like invoking for herself uh, a sense of suchos. And then she finally finishes off, She grant her your Amasecha to your slave woman, Zera Anashim. So why Zera Anashim? What does that mean? What is she asking for? A, a seed of men. What does that mean? Amarav, Gavra Begovrin, a man amongst men, meaning the most prominent of men. She's davening for the most uh, amazing child of all time. Says the Gemara, Shmuel Amar Zera Shemoshe Anashim. Zera Anashim means a child who will anoint two men. Umaniu, who are the two men that she's davening that her child should anoint? Shaul and David. And that, in fact, happened, right? Shmuel, Shmuel her son, was the Navi, and he anointed. Shaul and David as king. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, what does it mean, Zerah Anashim? Zerah, Sheshakul Kishnei Anashim. I should have a child who's equal to two great men. Umayn Inu, who are the two great men that Shmuel was equal to? Moshe and Aaron. Shemar, we recite him, it says until Moshe, Aaron, Bechoanov, Ushmuel, Bechara Eishimo. So it seems like Moshe and Aaron are Bechoanov on one side, Ushmuel, Bechara Eishimo on the other side. It sounds like we're equating the value of Shmuel with Moshe and Aaron.
Finally, a fourth interpretation. For Rabban and Amri, what does it mean, Zerah Anashim? Quite a different interpretation. Zerah Shemuv Labin Anashim. Hannah was davening for an average child. She wanted somebody totally like mixed up within society. Nothing special about it. Not, not, uh, not, not, I guess not small or, or like strong. Rashi says it means like a lighter, darker type of complexion. Not too wise, not too smart. Famous Rav Chaim from Levitz on this Gemara. He said, so the Gemara doesn't say that it was fulfilled or not, right? It seems like the Gemara is saying it wasn't fulfilled. I mean, she had Shmuel Anavi, one of the greatest of all people. So what happened? She didn't daven, Hashem didn't listen to her request. So he says, no, it must be that uh, Shmuel was average, but it doesn't matter. The average person couldn't make himself into Greek. He used to say, from the line in the mirror that they used to say back in there was that Kishrin can grow. Was, this is one of the Gemaras that they used to, they used to say. Says the Gemara, So the Gemara is skipping now. We're skipping a few, a little bit of years later when she comes back with Shmuel. For some reason, Shmuel's life is, being, is in danger in the base of Mikdash and Eli wants to kill Shmuel. We'll see that he was more halacha b'fnei rabo. He passed in front of Eli, which he should not have done. Eli wants to kill him. And then uh, Hannah is davening that his life be spared. So she says, I am the, the woman that you stood with here before. So what does he mean she stood with? You shouldn't sit within four hours of somebody davening. So what happened was Hannah was davening. And so Eli didn't uh, sit when she was davening. So she's saying, I am the woman that you stood with because you were standing while waiting for me to finish davening. I just found this halacha so interesting because like, the idea is that the shechina is with a person so you shouldn't just like sit next to somebody davening. If you're davening, you're allowed to. But, but, but if you just finish and you're waiting for something, you shouldn't sit within four amas of somebody davening because of the shechina. But it's so interesting because Eli is respecting the shechina of Chana's tefillah at the same time that he's mamish choshesh her tefillah to be the worst tefillah of all time. That's such an interesting point to me. He's in Chushes that she's a shikr and that she's doing the wrong thing and what is she doing and, you know, she's davening and speaking to herself so that's why he thinks she's drunk and he, he's looking at her like a lunatic. And at the same time, Belamaisa, she's davening and he respects that and it sounds like here that he, he didn't sit within four amos of her tefillah. At any rate, Elanah is Palalti. She says, for this nar I daven. The reason his life was in danger, he was more Allah with Rabba. What was the story? They slaughtered the the, the, the bull. They brought and then the sequence of buses, and then they brought the nar to Eli. So it's a very odd sequence. What does it mean? Because they slaughtered the bull in the base of Mikdash, now they brought the the, the, the child to Eli. This is what happened. Eli said to the in, in the base of Mikdash, he's you know, he's giving out instructions. He says, Kiru Kohen. Call a coin, because the coin should come and chef. It was time for the shechita, and Eli said, "Let's call a coin to do the shechita." Shmuel sees that they're trying to find a coin to do the shechita. Amar Louis says to them, Why are you looking for a coin for the shechita? A shechita with a non-coin is also kosher. A coin only has to do the avoda post the shechita, but the shechita is good with the zar. So you guys are wasting your time. So I see what they Eli. They brought him. Who is this kid? So they bring the kid in front of Eli. Amalei, Eli says, How do you know that a zar is allowed to shaft? So Amalei meets him with Shachar Akoin. Does the Pasuk say the coin should shaft? V'hikrivu hakoin. The Pasuk always says v'hikrivu hakoin. So what's hakrava? Hakrava is mikabala ve'ilach mitzvah kuhuna. That only from the hakrava and on, from the kabbalah sadam, does the mitzvah kuhuna start. The Mikan that we learned, the Shrita Shikshir Bazar, Shrita is good Bazar. The famous Rabbana Torah says that the reason why Kabbalah Saddam is Hakrava and not Shrita Hakrava 
It's an interesting idea. We bring the blood on the Mizbech. So the blood is considered Kiyatamu HaNefesh. It's the micro of the whole animal. So Hakrava is, you're being Mekadesh the Dam, the Kabbalah of the Dam, the Kiddush Adam, catching it in a holy vessel is Hakrava. You're making the carbon at that point. You're sanctifying the blood, the micro of the animal. So that's a reference to Kabbalah. So the Shechita, which was beforehand, sounds like from the Pasuk that it doesn't need to have, it doesn't need to be done by a coin. So Amar Leh, so Eli says, Meimur Shaper saying, you're saying very good, meaning you said the correct halacha. You shouldn't have passed in front of your Rebbe. So he wanted to kill him. So quickly, Chana comes. She cries in front of him. What's going on? I'm the woman that stood with that you stood with, and so on and so forth. Don't kill my son. Leave me alone. We'll punish this boy. We'll dab him for somebody else, and you'll get a greater kid. You know, it makes a lot of sense. If he was only an average boy, specifically, it makes a lot of sense. Like, what? Why are you so attached to this child? We can get another child. So Amr she says to him, No, Elanar Hazeh, his palalti was specifically for this child that I wanted. Says the Gemara, a little bit more analysis. She was speaking on her heart. She was speaking to her heart, meaning she was speaking to what she saw on her heart. Every single thing you've created in the human body is for a purpose. Ears to hear. The, the, the nose to smell. The mouth to speak. Hands that do. To do work. And legs to walk. The purpose of the breast is to nurse a child. So these breasts that are on my heart, lama, lama, what, what, what's the purpose? Why are you giving me? Is it not to, to, for me to nurse my child? Tenly bain, grant me a son, and I will use uh, these breasts to nurse a child. So this is, an, the Gemara is going to say that this was actually like a very brazen thing to say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but did that. Says the Gemara, my Lord, Mishra, Mishra, Zamar, call it Yoshi Betanis Bashabas. Anybody who fasts on Shabbos, it's a great merit. He gets a Zardin, even of 70 years, to be ripped up. It's a great, great merit to fast on Shabbos. Why fast on Shabbos is so great? Because it's much more difficult. Everybody else, there's a lot more good food around. Everybody else is eating good stuff. And you're the only one fasting on Shabbos, so there's a lot more schluss for fasting on Shabbos. It even seems like the Gemara, it sounds like it's okay for Onik Shabbos because you're not personally enjoying it. For you, the enjoyment is to fast. For Afal Pekin, in front of me doing Shabbos, however, he gets paid back for being Mavatal, the Onik Shabbos. My Takante, with what should he fix the fact that he fasted on Shabbos? Let him observe another fast for the fact that he has fasted. So it, it's a great schos to fast on Shabbos, but then, in fact, you have to fast again. Says the Gemara, She flung her words to Hashem, meaning she spoke brazenly to Hashem. It doesn't say El Ba'al. She flung her words to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Am Rabbi Lazar, who else did that? Elio Tiel Tzvarim Klapei Mala. Elio spoke personally to Hashem. Shemar Atis Baruch Liba Machronis. Hashem, you turned the hearts of Klal Yisrael backwards. This concept is described in the Rambam that Klal Yisrael did so much wrong that they lost their bechira. The Rambam writes just like power. Once he had done so much wrong, he lost his ability to decide between good and bad. This happened to the wrong to the people who were over Avodah in the time of Elio. So Elio says to Hashem, "It's your fault, Hashem. You give." You, you, you lost their, you, you took away their ability to choose between right and wrong, so it's your fault. How do we know Hashem agreed to So it's a very powerful thing that I have done bad. So the beginning of the Pasuk is talking about all these things, the future uh, ingathering of Kibbutz Goliath, and Hashem is saying, the reason why I'm going to bring the Gula back is because it's my fault. 
that all of this happened. It's my fault because I took away their decision-making between good and bad.